We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And I'm sorry, this is going to be a little bit of an Austin Reeves podcast for about a two-week stretch as FIBA basketball is happening. Us uh, basketball junkies who are waking up at 5.30 in the morning, uh, living the life that you know international Laker fans have to live to, to watch games. This has been a, a great stretch, Mike. And our guy, Austin Reeves, has been unbelievable, man. Every game he goes out there and not only are is the team extending the lead when he's on the court, but he's one of the best dudes out there, Mike. And so the rock star ascension on top of it, like nobody, nobody goes harder than Filipino Laker fans, man. Like seeing him ball out to the reaction that he's been getting, man, I just... Mike, I haven't heard from you as much on Austin's ascent this summer, but talk to me, man, about what you're seeing from our guy overseas. Well, do you want to relay the what you were just telling us about the the mall yes. story in the Philippines, <laughs> if you, in case, in case yeah, people missed it? Yeah, just in, in case you haven't seen it, um, he was doing some event where, so he's standing on the stage, rabid fans in the crowd, right? And somebody asks him, are you single? And he says, no. And everybody starts chanting Taylor Swift at him. <laughs> So, yeah, this has been the summer, man, where he's gone from, you know, undrafted guy from Arkansas to dating Taylor Swift, quote unquote. Do not quote me on this. I'm just kidding. This is sarcastic. He's not dating Taylor Swift. Uh, but like, yeah, this ascension into he's he's a rock star now. Our, our guy is all all grown up. Well, he is. In, it's uh, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy in the way that he is. He is not going to act like a rock star. And that just p- makes people love him more. Mm-hmm. You know, he's so he's so nice and charming that. He just wins over whatever room that he's in, uh, be it small, be it big. He's good with with all different types of people. Um, he's just a genuinely nice guy. Uh, and in the meantime, though, he's he's continued to develop this swagger, um, the way that he plays in the court. That he, he's always had that, but I think it's just it's grown and it's so foundational now to the player that he is. And that to me is part of what's exciting about him as as we've seen this arc. And we've talked about it on even on the, the last couple of pods where. Um, as you get to that next moment and then you meet that next challenge 
and you continue to do it, you, there's a certain amount of just self-belief that is stamped in. Um, and, you know, I don't want to say that he's slump proof, but just the way that he's playing basketball right now and the level of skill and the, mixed with the level of IQ and having enough athleticism to sell it at that level, uh, that is just very sustainable. And the questions that he's answering, I don't even think that we were asking. You know, I, at first, even coming off of his terrific performance in the playoffs, I was already trying to think, well, team Steve Kerr loves him. He put him on the team for a reason. But just like with the Lakers, there are a couple of players that are more established that he's going to have to kind of steal that rotation spot away from. And it just happened in like the first game that they played. And it, that was because Austin was kicking ass in practice. And so it's been it's been recognized and it's been uh, it's not even like they've been rewarding him. He's been rewarding them for getting that amount of playing time. Um, and it just keeps going better and better. Now, the only pushback that, that I would give Darius is that they haven't played the stiffest competition, um, even as these national teams have been playing together for a while. But it's like, like Germany is a good team, right? They, but still, it's Dennis Schroeder and it's Franz Wagner and Mo Wagner, right? And Daniel Tice. Like it's so it's but then my pushback to that um, is that he just did it against the Denver Nuggets, who won the world championship. So I guess I, I don't need to qualify um, the excellence that he's had against Greece or that'll probably have against Jordan tomorrow morning. It's just kind of established that this is who Austin is and they're it's not something that seems that's going to go away anytime soon. It does not seem like it. That's for sure. The better players you surround Austin with, the better he's going to look. And he has this innate ability to sort of blend in with other star players, but also raise his game in ways that um, – allows him to help star players play to their level too. And it's this multiplying effect. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot with him coming off the bench for Team USA, right? Like he's part of this group that can change games and other countries don't have the depth that a Team USA team will have. This, Darius, this just got me thinking about Brazil in soccer almost, where they've got yep, the, yep. the great starting 11, but then uh, there's just six studs that come in off the bench. And, and even if you can only use five. Yeah. <laughs> Frank loves Mbappe. Uh, there's, that's just the, you're right. And Austin is at the top of that list right now. And I guess right there with Halliburton. Yeah. yeah well, well, him and Halliburton and then even Bancaro. And mm-hmm. it's like these guys are just coming in and, and trashing teams. Pete. And, and so it's sort of no wonder that his plus minus looks amazing, but it's his energy as well. And his two way play, I think that has really been helping to drive the success of those second units. I will be interested to see when they do play a team that has like more NBA caliber wings, like Canada out there is looming to me as like this roster where it's like, Oh, there's Lou Dort and Dylan Brooks and SGA. And it's like, Oh, here's a lot of like athletes, which not a lot of other teams can put athletes like that out on the court, especially defensive ones. But even Canada's a team that's going to go like six or seven players deep. And team USA is going to be like nine or 10 players deep. And, after a while, you would just hope that that they would outlast, right? But in bringing this back to, to Austin, we've been talking about this all summer, but the idea of what's it going to do for his confidence and how confidence is the driver of your game, that is, it's not like, Mike, I thought the phrase that, that you used, like slump proof, was like great because 
I don't think there's going to be anything that dents his confidence anymore. Like there's a chip on your shoulder element to a guy like Austin with his story of like, I want to prove everyone wrong. And in his podcast tour during the summer, you you'd hear him talk about that, that idea of basically just like telling people F you like what's driving me is the ability to like shove it in people's faces to a certain extent. But once you reach a certain point, Pete, and, and you have this success over and over again, a bad game isn't going to phase him. Even a bad couple of games isn't going to phase him. He's proving at the sort of highest level in terms of like the environment that that he's in and, and this incubator of like the cream always rises and he's rising within this group. And what that's going to do for him in the long term is something that Lakers fans, I feel like, should be super excited about. That's what's so fun about watching him now is having the experience of watching him as a rookie who was very deferential toward other players and understandably so. But the his I'm him moment was such a culmination of a couple of years worth of work in that, you know, he's running ball screens against a drop coverage where it's like, I think he had Dylan Brooks on him fighting over the top, which is as good as you're going to get in terms of a guy that can provide back pressure and be big. And Jaron Jackson Jr. is the guy that's actually in the drop, right? And, uh, or he might've had Bane on him, right? But it's like the, the trio that he was up against defensively is like Brooks, Bane, and Jaron Jackson Jr. That's as good as it gets in terms of that coverage. And he's picking them apart. And that's why him going, I'm him. It's like, yes, you are Austin. And you him finally realizing that is such a like a springboard moment that I think can have uh, really huge effects on the team. And, and I get to thinking, Mike, about how does this apply to the Lakers as the Lakers start this upcoming season? I We had this great chat. I loved our talk the other day about Rui at, at the three versus Vando. And I'm kind of in this in this spirit now, and that conversation made me realize this, D, that I think the first part of this season should have some degree of exploration. And to what degree is Austin a guy that you can give the ball to and run the offense? I like. I think ultimately we are one move away from really locking the team in that we want to make a playoff run with. And I think what we need to do with that type of move or, or trade is going to be dependent on how much Austin can handle. So how do you see that, Mike, in terms of like Austin being this guy that can have effects on LeBron and AD in terms of how the whole thing runs? The amount of usage that Austin has is such an interesting way to think about things. You can go back and, and try to think of, well, maybe they should have given him the ball a little bit more um, even against Denver as they were loading up so much to a degree on LeBron and, and especially on AD. And the reason is because as Austin, as his usage increased, his efficiency did not go down. And that's, I don't want to say always, but that it seems like that's what happens. You give a guy a bunch more shots and it's just difficult to maintain that efficiency for a couple of different reasons. One's because you just are going to get more tired. <laughs> and I think we forget this now, but towards the end of the Memphis series and the start of the Golden State series, Austin did seem to be wearing down a little bit. Now he, but, but this is part of the beauty of him though. He's not going to just throw, keep throwing up shots when in, especially in compromised positions when he's not feeling like he has it completely. He can he can just pass more. He can drive and dish a little bit more or uh, he can he can set a back screen like he's just got so much so many different ways to contribute offensively that his net rating wasn't necessarily decreasing even as his legs seemed to not be there completely. Mm -hmm. And then he found a second wing or a second wind, I should say. 
as that Golden State series went on. And by the Denver series, he just he looked fresh somehow. And so, again, Pete, to, to answer your actual question, how does that apply going into the next season? And what do they actually do with him? What is Darvin Ham thinking as he's watching these Team USA games? And maybe more importantly, what is LeBron thinking as he's watching these Team USA games? And LeBron is a person who, for whom the trust in Austin has been there for a while now. And it's just then about what is the right mix? What is the right percentage of touches that Austin should get? How much should he get when he's playing next to a usage type of a point guard in D'Lo? Even if D'Lo kind of fits here well, because D'Lo sometimes is happy to go off the ball he and can just do the same thing as, as Austin can, Mike, yeah. in terms of he can play on the ball or off of it. And that's part of what's great is that it can be kind of determined by where is the defense weak? OK, we're going to that guy's the point guard for the night. You know, there's, it's a great option to have. And so can and this is why I like the Vincent fit with Austin even a little bit more than Schroeder offensively, because same thing. He's more than capable and happy to play off the ball. And and then if we want to even push it further, let's say that it's a specific team, maybe a Denver, uh, where you just need to be a little bigger and you need to be a little bigger on the backcourt. Well, then Max Christie, come on down. Austin will handle even more of the initiating. We don't want another small guy. We want a rebounding defensive mm-hmm. two who can hit a three. And that might be your closing type of a group uh, when because the usage is going to be it's either it's Austin, it's LeBron, it's AD. And and then like that, we just want the other uh, part to be a role playing type of defensive. So that's where my head is going to. It's just more uh, it's it's starting from the standpoint of Austin is up here um, within the hierarchy with LeBron and AD as opposed to just one of the other guys uh, and uh, you know, that's not to be dismissive of Russell, who can who can take over certain games. Um, and but that's kind of where I'm leaning already. I'll be interested in seeing the ideas of how the team gets into their offense and what their sets actually look like with this version of Austin Reeves. Right. And so one of the things that I'm always intrigued by is how you get a player the ball and when do you want like in what positions and how early in a possession are you looking to get a guy the ball let me just pose this question to you pete do you want austin like bringing the ball up a lot like getting the ball in the backcourt and being the guy who's bringing the ball up in terms of initiating offense like do you envision that as like i'm the quote unquote point guard and I'm going to lead quote unquote Mm -hmm. the offense sometimes I see him splitting that a bit with D'Lo I would love for LeBron to not relinquish that responsibility but not have to do it as much as like basically I want us to have and I think we have the roster to do it where we're the ones choosing when LeBron is playing that lead guard type of role as opposed to it being dictated by the lineups that we have on the court. So I envision Austin as one of those guys along with Devo and Vincent. Yeah. And this is where it's interesting to me because that's sort of how I envision it going as well is that there is a division of labor amongst two or three different guys, LeBron included. Like, I don't think LeBron should be excluded from this equation by any means. Like he's still too good of a player, but Mm -hmm. Delo's the guy to me who who feels like if guys try to pressure him full like full court, he just sort of seems to absorb that and be like, I'm fine. I like I'm fine with this. Does it always look 
like, oh, like I'm just going to beat you off of the dribble. No, but he, he his handle never really feels pressured, even if a guy is getting up in to him. And Austin and LeBron, I feel like, can still be LeBron at this stage of his career. Mm-hmm. Guys try to pressure him full court to wear him down right. and turn him multiple times. And Austin is still a guy that can be turned mm-hmm. multiple times, like in the backcourt um, or just uses up a fair amount of energy right. in order to get into the front court to initiate offense. And those are the sorts of scenarios where I don't want LeBron or Austin to really be like taxed in that way, if that makes sense. This is such a great point, D, in that like that's something I'm curious Austin's level of progression as a ball handler, simply dribbling the ball in that that is something that we've seen over his first two years is that guys can kind of get up into him and force him to cough it up. The uh, Josh Green incident where Mike was on standby ready to to jump in at any moment. What preceded that was Josh Green and ball pressured Austin right around half court and forced him to cough it up. And so that's a great point in that like and that's one of the things, too, in, in terms of talking about like what is that possible move that's out there before the trade deadline is that if you put Austin in a, oh, you're our point guard type of role, that comes with a certain amount of, you got to deal with somebody right up in your jersey in a way that that might be a little bit of an over-ask. I think both Austin and D'Lo, D'Lo bristled at times being called the point guard, mm-hmm. and he would always push back and say, I'm, "I'm on this team, I'm I'm a basketball player. Like, sometimes I have to do this stuff, but I don't always have to. Too. And Austin's game is built very similarly to that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering if like the Lakers have two guards and do they have like a point guard? I don't even know if they have a point guard on the roster that's not named LeBron James, who isn't even necessarily a point guard anymore either. And it's just it is it's it's an interesting dynamic, I feel like, in terms of that ball handling responsibility, Mike. And first of all, with Zelo. The way that I took the pushback to the whole point guard thing was more, I can be a full-time point guard, but I'm not asked to be on this team. So don't refer to me as one mm-hmm. because LeBron has the ball a ton. Austin Reeves has the ball a ton. It wasn't like a, I don't want to play point guard or I'm not a point guard or yeah, I think he's, he's just more like, have you guys been watching the games? Like we don't, yes. we, this is no longer a traditional, this is the one, this is the two. That's not how basketball, I think it's just sort of in, and I, he actually, I didn't think was being super impatient about it, but just a little bit like, yeah, that, that was my read on it. So I, I agree with how you guys have defined it though. Like they can, they have a lot of guys that can do it. That is not the, that is not the weak point of this team. That is not the sore spot. So what is the optimal? It's just like with the usage. Once you get into the half court, what is the optimal way to do it? And when you have many folks that why well, I call NBA players, folks, when you have many guys that can do it, it's like, that's good. That's good because it can adjust itself. It doesn't necessarily have to be planned um, in advance. And like, to me, it's more just about, they know this group of guys seems to have found a comfort point in terms of playing with each other, but there are also players that can do more and that might want to do more. And that's the kind of thing that has to get figured out earlier in a season. So Pete, kind of back to your point about, while the continuity is there, it's much better than the previous couple of years. What is the optimal way of playing with this group of players mm-hmm. has yet to be determined. 
Very, very much so. When they all came together at the end of last season, it was, we have to win this game. And I think that picking something, picking a, a lineup style, especially with Vando entering the starting lineup where it's like, he's the guy responsible for whoever their main guy is uh, across, uh, uh, you know, whoever their main guy is handling the ball really locks everybody else into roles that you can't get continuity in 25 games, but it's the closest thing you can get in that time where guys kind of like know what they're doing. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to shift gears. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so I spent a good portion of this weekend watching Gabe Vincent tape, uh, particularly from the playoffs. And so I wanted to talk about him and a, a bit of Torian Prince in this uh, the second segment. With Vincent, he's a guy that his role changed. His role was most impacted by Tyler Hero going out in terms of Miami is a team that doesn't have a lot of guys that can get you a bucket individually. They have several players who can shoot coming off of a screen, but in terms of a, can you break a guy down off of the dribble? You've got Jimmy who does it in these sort of smoke and mirrors and jump stops and, you know, hip checks and, you know, that sort of way. And an older Kyle Lowry who used to be better at that than he is. Hero is really the guy that was relied upon to kind of add a certain amount of uh, of a uh, scoring pop from that position. And when he went out, Vincent, I thought, did an excellent job of filling that role. But his role in the playoffs in particular, Mike, was very much an on-ball type of role. And one of the things that I, I caught from watching him, he's a guy that I think I think he's going to frustrate fans at sometimes in terms of his shot selection. And he's this sort of all around type of score. But if you're expecting him to be like a sniper corner shooter, he's not. He's streaky. He can do it. He, and that's the thing that I kind of come away with with uh, on him, guys, is that he's solid at a bunch of different things. And I think that's a great thing to have for a role player. But maybe it's the number and the build and all of that. He reminds me a ton of Derek Fisher in that like when Fish – look, Fish is a five-time champion and, and 
and contributed significantly to a lot of those. But if you watch Derek Fisher on a daily basis, he would drive you crazy with some of the things that he would do. Even his legendary shot uh, against Boston in game three, right? The layup at the end of the game. You're up by four with 30 seconds left. It's a one-on-four fast break. It's a legendary moment because he made the shot. But to me, D, that was like the ultimate, no, no, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yes! Open court legend. Type of moment. Open court legend. And so Gabe Vincent's got some of that, like, that that, uh, that amount of irrational confidence, which I think is good, but I think is going to uh, rub some Laker fans the wrong way at times. Well, I was just going to say that, yeah, he's got stones, just like Fisher did. Yep. And there you – that it's a great call out as a equivalent Pete, because that's, that's the thing that has made them survive and get to this point of being in the NBA at that height, at that size. And Fisher, I mean, to me, the ultimate Fisher thing is just, he was more than willing and happy to play one-on-one full court with Kobe Bryant. Like, are you insane? You know, you're not winning. You're not winning. Maybe ever, but he, that was not how fish was wired. It's one of the things that I admired about him the most. And Sometimes even he fish can speak that way too. It's not just that he plays that way after games. Sometimes, especially my first year, I expect Kobe to speak a certain way. I expect a certain thing from Powell. And I go over to Derek Fisher, carries himself the exact same way, right? Full of confidence, has the answers. Nope. This is what needs to happen. And, and I, I haven't spoken to Vincent yet in that context. I've heard, I've heard some of his press conferences yet. So I'm curious to see what kind of a guy he is. He does seem a little bit more, um, soft spoken, but then you can tell the 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 edge and the level of confidence is there behind it, the chip on the shoulder. So that I, I wanted to comment quickly on the basketball part too, though, because the if you just look at his game logs and if you watch the playoffs, but either way, one of the two, he's he's not a super efficient scorer. He's going to get up a lot of threes to get his points. He's not going to make a huge percentage of his twos. Some of the twos that he takes are going to be tough shots. But his assist to turnover ratio is pretty good. So it's it's like he the way that he operates as a scorer and as a sometimes they're just there's guys that just will take the shots that other guys won't, and the the ball will end up finding them a little bit more. Kobe is the all-time example of that kind of a player. Um, but so his the numbers aren't always gonna look great, but the impact seems to be generally positive. So it, it doesn't always look pretty, but he's he's a gamer. Yeah, he has a certain amount of moxie to him. And, and so there's a lot of intangibles. And so that frustration point that you're making, Pete, that's often reserved most for the guys whose intangibles can sometimes be stronger than their tangibles. Because <laughs> yes, <laughs> the tangibles are the stuff that show up in the box score, right? And so if if you're impacting the game because you stood a guy up at the foul line, when you got a switch and you forced a guy into taking a tough shot and then that ball misses and then you go down on the next next possession and it's swing swing and you have an open three and then you miss it the only thing that shows up in the box score there is that 0 for 1 on the jumper right and not all the work that happened on the other side of the court And Vincent, to me, is a guy, when you look at his percentage, like his shooting percentages and his shot demographic, and it's just like, why are you taking this many pull-up twos? And like, how come your three-point percentage is like below league average? And it's like, wait, like, 
you spent your full mid-level on this guy. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think Lakers fans are going to be a little bit frustrated. But that competitiveness and that sort of ability to like there's no wave like there's no there the idea of riding the wave of like oh like this guy's hot and now we're gonna like milk like Mm -hmm. milk that vincent is a guy who will get hot and he will also then have those cold streaks but his approach to things is almost always going to be exactly the same and so there is that idea of he's not right like riding the wave he's cutting through it every single time and that steadiness in personality that steadiness in in approach is super useful in an environment where expectations start to get ratcheted up more and more and more because I feel like those guys don't get rattled as much. And I will be interested to see how, like, the point on the graph, Mike, where the intangibles meet the tangibles and that's where the production is because if that is at the right point, fans will be frustrated just enough until that next big shot falls and then they're going to be like, ah, this is why he's in the game. And that's how it was with Fish for the longest time. It was just like, like another foot on the line too. Like, like what are you doing, bro? Right? But then it's the like, oh, a big charge, or it's like, oh, yeah. a big steal, or like, oh, here's the big jumper off of the swing, swing. And it's like, those are the things that live in our mind too. And so I'm super interested to see what Vincent does in that regard. Yeah, yeah. Peter. Not to skip steps, but. With what we just talked about, with what you saw from Vincent, how does he best? How does Darvin Ham best deploy him with in terms of who he plays with, the times of the game that he plays, all that? I, I think that's going to be dependent upon Darvin's like broader lineup construction ideas. Because when Darius was like, you know, you might be a fan looking at his box score or his season long numbers, like why are you shooting such a low percentage? And from watching the tape, it's because he was taking extremely difficult shots in a way that it's going to be a role change here where we were just talking about Austin and D'Lo and LeBron. When you were watching him on tape with Miami, he's on the floor with non-ball handlers, guys like Max Struess, Caleb Martin, who is wonderful, but isn't as much of a guy that like you give the ball to him at the top of the key and be like, go run a pick and roll, go create a play. It's a lot of off-ball players in a way where like you do need somebody out there that's an on-ball player that can do that. And in Hero's absence, Vincent was asked to do that. But in doing so, like a lot of these shots, guys, were like difficult, you know, contested, leaning, sidestep foot, like footwork i'm super curious what does it look like with vincent where he's the second relied upon ball ball handler maybe third relied upon ball handler in that um in that circumstance and so that's kind of how i think he should be used mike is with one more guy that is that is ahead of him in terms of a guy you would give the ball to and i really like him starting out in the corners and one of the things he does really well he's a really good pick and roll player and as we talked about last year our offense is super calibrated toward running ball screens and so what can happen is he can start out in that corner position and either knock down that catch and shoot corner three and I would venture guess that on those good shots where his feet are set and it is that it is that swing swing he is better than the 34 and a half percent three-point shooter like on good shots he's a good shooter Lonnie Walker was kind of like this too right but if it doesn't work out there you what you normally do is kick up from the corner to the wing and then that flows right into a ball screen and so having a guy that can both catch and shoot 
or and then if that's not open, can operate on a second side action ball screen. Well, it, on a team that has a lot of guys that can do that, like that's really difficult to guard when every guy that you can give the ball to can flow right into the next action kind of seamlessly, Mike. And so that's kind of how I picture it is. I think he defensively, he's he's a really good, a solid one and he replaces Dennis. I think he's a small downgrade defensively, but Dennis is so good on the ball. That's not like anything against Vincent necessarily, but that's kind of how I see him, Mike, is starting in the corner and then can flow into a ball screen off of that. One thing that really has me thinking that you just mentioned was thinking about Miami and what their personnel was and what that allowed Vincent to do or what it sort of forced him to have to do on offense relative to whom he might be playing with and the different level of not just, I don't want to say just skill, but passing. And I'm thinking more about LeBron, D'Lo, Austin, sort of that trio. And Miami just didn't have another one of those guys like that. Uh, Jimmy can pass, but that's not his main thing. Bam. Okay, but you know that's it's not his main thing. Kyle Lowry is certainly a good passer, but he often was coming in uh, off the bench and then like replacing Vincent, and they weren't mm-hmm. they didn't play them together a ton because that was so small. So if he doesn't have to be that one to to be to create the immediate shot, and he can be he can be secondary more often than he was. So I guess Darius, to flip this to you, then how much of that can benefit him in terms of efficiency, but how much is of that is against the way that he played at his most effective uh, overall and, and allowed him to find the moxie that he had playing for that Miami team that needed more of that than the Lakers might. Well, this is a balance and this is where so many factors go into what equates to player success. And sometimes it's scheme and sometimes it's confidence and sometimes it's a combination of both. And there's something about Darwin that I very much appreciated about him is that he seems to breathe life into players in terms of allowing them to play their games. I love that. And Spot on. wanting them to, encouraging them even to always like, this is why you're here. You're here to take this shot. You're here to play this style. Like, And I don't think I ever heard him say to any of the team sort of like, quote unquote, offensive players, like pulling them back in, in any of the commentary that like all the coaches stuff, all the like little mic'd up segments, it was always like, no, nah, like this is why you're here. Like, like almost like I'm going to pull you out if you don't shoot that shot. Like you need to keep shooting that. So more like how Mike D'Antoni was some, talked about in some ways. Yes. Although even D'Antoni would sort of like skew you towards the shots that he wanted you to take. Right. Which is like, oh, no, like not the log too, Right. Like we watch it, like take a step back. So it, he was encouraging you, but still within the context of like where we want the offense to go. There, all those clips of like Lonnie Walker or or Beasley and it's like these aren't shots I want these players taking necessarily. But Darwin was just like fire him up. And, and so I don't think Vincent's going to have an issue from a like feeling supported context. I will be interested in seeing, though, if the Lakers start to incorporate any of the actions that he used in Miami in terms of rather than always running pick and rolls, and you mentioned that he's a good pick and roll player, but Miami also used a ton of handoff actions, and Vincent's guards his size. Vincent's not the guy who has all this shake 
He's not a Kyrie guard. He's not a, oh, I'm going to set you up. Even the stuff that we see Austin doing, right, where it's just like, oh, fake this way, go this way. It's not that. Well, and even even Dennis, who he essentially replaces, one of the biggest differences between them is Dennis is a guy that can put on the afterburners and put pressure on the rim, whereas that's not really Vincent's game. He can He's can sort of finish around the rim, but he's below average at it, and he's not a guy that's going to get there nearly as often as Dennis did. And so one of the things I'm looking for with him and from Darwin is after the Lakers made the trade, the rest trade, and they got Russell and Beasley back, they instantly started running actions for Beasley that mirrored the stuff that they were that he was that they ran for him in Utah and stuff that they had run for him in Minnesota. Like like in the past, it was the idea of these are the things you're comfortable doing. And so this brings me back to a point that. I was making to you guys both um, mostly offline during the summer, which was watching Colin Castleton be this initiating big man on all of and all, running all these dribble handoffs. It's like, what offense is this? Yep. This is this isn't the offense the Lakers run, right? This is an offense that Castleton is used to running over at Florida, and they're just like milking this. And I'll be super interested to see if there's a bridge. That starts to get created where are they giving the ball more to AD? Are they like, are they running more five out actions? Because those are the, that's the sort of offense that that is, Pete. It's not a four out one in guy running to the post. Okay. Run out, screen and roll, dive. It was more, okay, like let's run flow offense at the top of the key, trailing big, five out actions, dribble handoff, keeper, switch. Okay. Dribble into something. And Vincent, that's what he ran in Miami, yep. and I'll be interested to see if they do any of that for him as well to sort of facilitate that comfort level. Both NBA finalists this year and last year's champion in the Warriors run a ton of five-out top uh, type of offense, and the way that you can recognize that if you're watching the game is, are you giving the, your center the ball in the middle of the floor? So a lot of those handoffs that you're talking about start with, bam, at the top of the key, doing a dribble at toward the guy in the corner or, or on the wing, and then that facilitates that sort of action. We see Jokic in the middle of the floor a ton. Draymond is really the guy who I think kind of kicked off this era and style of basketball, Mike. And so the Lakers having that sort of look, I think that that's, that is a much more of a possibility this year, in part because guys like Vincent and Prince, who I think we'll get to in the, in the next pod uh, when we have more time, they're professional jump shooters. You got to be able to kind of hit jumpers off of while you you're moving and their ability to do that, I think kind of opens up this new look for the Lakers that I'm, I'm really excited to see if we explore it. The only thing I wanted to add is that when you think about combinations of these guards specifically, there isn't a group that a, a two man pairing that I think, well, that's definitely not going to work. Agreed. And yeah. Often on a roster, there is that like this guy can't play with that guy because either they both can't shoot or they both can't drive or uh, one of them is a defensive liability and the other one I, I don't think that's going to be the case and you can sort of play Vincent with Austin you play Vincent with D'Lo you can play you could play any of them with Max Christie uh, you could play you could play in, to some extent if you want to play really big like that I think Darius thought of this if you have the Cam Reddish at the two thing either one of those guys could fit with him so mm-hmm. that I think is very encouraging and different from what the roster was I don't know that it's the same in the front court, uh, and that's that whole who's behind LeBron AD. There are certain guys that have to be on the court when other guys aren't, 
And that's still the part of the roster, I think, that we'll, we'll probably continue to talk about. But as far as backcourt goes, that's one thing that gives that should give, I think, Laker folks some comfort in that however Darvin Ham wants to experiment there, it's not like it can't work. It's just which works the best. There's no Rondo and Westbrook combination. Yeah. No, the three main guards that the Lakers have in Vincent, Austin, and D'Lo, any combination of them can play and fit fit together all all of them can be on ball players all of them can be off ball players and that that will help facilitate good offense um there will be questions to me like defensively in terms of how all of that is going going to work but um but the idea of what mike was saying that's that's a great point the thing I wanted to get to back with Vincent and some of the handoff stuff as well is like the Lakers have bigs. LeBron and AD, I think running that style of offense could be really good for Anthony Davis. Like totally I've talked great. a lot about getting the ball in his hands more and letting him be more of a fulcrum of the offense and doing a little bit more individual shot creation and playing off off of the dribble and off of the move. One of the reasons why some of AD had some of his ups and downs offensively during the playoffs was was because he got roped into playing the same role every single time. And Mm -hmm. and it was like, okay, here I am going downhill, making making a catch and on the move. I'm going to shoot this little runner. And sometimes that shot goes in and sometimes it doesn't. And. Changing that up and giving him more variety within the offense could be very good, good for him. LeBron's never had to play in that sort of role, but I honestly can't think of a player who could kill in that sort of dribble handoff, screen, pick, pop, screen, dive, all of that stuff than LeBron James. It's just something that intrigues me, Pete. Likewise, I can't wait to get into some of our five-out conversations because that's something that, that's that been on my mind as well. And I think this is the first time that we've had the guards that allow you to be able to do that because you have to be able to jump shoot off of certain footworks and then if you're not open on that, flow into the next type of action. And so it requires a certain level of ball handling and jump shooting that, that we have that I'm super excited about. And given the ball to AD in the middle of the floor, I think we that also opens up if – defenses are more pressed up on those shooters. AD is a natural ball handler in terms of like how he wants to play. He wants to beat guys off of the dribble. That's a very comfortable type of uh, type of space for him to be in. So uh, a lot of fun conversations coming up. Good good to be back. Uh, we'll be back in a couple days. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen! Unbelievable.
over. Right. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.